Snacknet called the Snacket, which is a bracket of snacks. And I've been enjoying it very much for the last several weeks, but I just discovered that Cheez-Its won. They're a pretty solid snack though. Like what did they win over? So many other things. I'm, I'm, I'm frankly quite offended. But they're pretty good. Like, I I have to say, like, Cheez-Its are a very solid snack. You can eat, like, a whole box of Cheez-Its in one sitting. And you can't say that about other snacks that might appear better upon, like, first taste. Sure, but even if we're just comparing to other cheesy snacks, would you choose them over cheese puffs? Would you choose them over goldfish? Would you choose them, I can't think of others, but there's there's many cheesy snacks that I at least would choose over a Cheez-It, even though I don't mind a Cheez-It. I can understand your argument for them. Like, personally, I prefer cheese puffs, but I can also see that, like, you know, cheese puff, like, dust gets all over your hands, and maybe you don't want that. Maybe you want, like, a more ease of snacking. So, like, I could see that Cheez-Its are better. I do think Cheez-Its are better than goldfish. Oh, finger dust is relevant, I guess. Maybe I'm just underexposed to Cheez-Its, but honestly, I was truly like, I see why our country is the way it is. <laughs> It was the year of the underdog snacks, supposedly. And so they had things like Pocky and Tim Tams. How is Tim Tam an underdog snack? Well, I think they're just not, like probably underrepresented in this country. Okay. I thought we were going to transition to like the podcast, but now I'm like confused. Like Pocky, Tim Tams, is it just like not white snacks? Like what's the deal? I don't know. Or, there like, were like non-American snacks? Jerky. Pickles is a bad snack. I would like to come out and say this straight up. I don't really love pickles, but pickles are a bad snack. <laughs> I've eaten pickles from time to time. Most people like pickles more than I do. Interesting. Well, I'll send you the snack it after and you can send me your thoughts because we all have a lot of time on our hands for that now. That's true. So welcome to Romcomathon. Uh I'm Alex. And I'm Kat. And this week we are talking about Fever Pitch because it is supposed to be the opening of baseball season. But, you know, we're just in this liminal space where time has no meaning and none of us have any money. What what a pleasant way to begin our podcast. Well, you know, which is, sure. we're all just stuck indoors. Yeah, I was thinking like what's... What are the big things that I associate with April? And one of them is opening day at Fenway Park because we're from Boston. And then I was like, oh, not this year, I guess. But we could watch Fever Pitch, which I must say is maybe the rom-com towards which I feel I am most biased. Like, I am very fond of it, but I have no ability to measure if that fondness is objective. <laughs> I don't think that fondness is, ob is objective, although when watching it this time, I was like, I think this movie like more or less holds up, but it's not a great movie. I think that it's a decent rom-com in that everyone makes a choice and they have pretty good chemistry and they're both somewhat funny. Yeah. And I think like the conflict is real enough. It's not a very like exciting conflict. I will say, like, it's it's a more low-stakes conflict, and I honestly think that if the film hadn't been filming during the pivotal year that the Sox finally won the series, that it would be a less exciting film, um, especially since it takes, like, an already established couple. It's not really them getting together, like, in a traditional rom-com. So... You know, like, I think, like, there are elements of it that could have been, like, better. But, like, you know, it's based off of, like, the the original source material is also about one man's obsession. So, 
Yes. Uh, for context, Fever Pitch is based on a book by Nick Hornby, which is about a man, later played by Colin Firth, in a thing I've never seen. Have you? No, I've never seen it. Um, And his obsession with the soccer team, I want to say Arsenal? Yeah, I think it's Arsenal. And the Farrelly brothers adapted it for a Boston Red Sox fan, and they had written a version of the script in which the Red Sox lose at the end of the movie because for obviously their entire lives and hours up until that point, the Red Sox had always lost before or in the playoffs or whatever. And then the year that they were shooting this film, they were like, oh, we might win the series? Yep. (laughs) So they had to rewrite. And in watching, I was like, how much of this did they have to rewrite or restructure? I really wondered, and I'm not sure, but I did love in Googling it that they waited until like 5.30 the day of the like game four of that series when we were playing the Cardinals to fly them down because they didn't want to jinx the Sox, which was a very real concern that all of us in Boston had at that time at every moment of our lives. Yeah, it was a it was a crazy time. So it was like, a, I mean, like, that's that's actually the best thing like I love about this movie is that it is such like a time capsule of, you know, that time and those games and, you know, how it felt to be in Boston at that time. So for that reason, I think I really love this movie. I don't think like the the whole story um, is ultimately like that compelling but then again when i was watching it i was like yeah i feel like this movie holds up like it's fine yes i was watching it kind of processing for the first time that if you don't like jimmy fallon you probably won't enjoy this movie (laughs) yeah and a lot of people don't like jimmy fallon which frankly is fair not necessarily for anything he's done but like his general vibe and way of performing if you don't find him charming you will probably not enjoy him as a romantic lead yes And probably similarly Drew Barrymore. Like, they're both pretty themselves. Yeah, I have to say, like, I have no issues with Jimmy Fallon. Like, but I was like, I know a lot of people who don't like the way he is as a performer. And I get it. Yes, and you were like, I can see why if you found him annoying, you would also find him annoying in this film. Yeah, he's basically just playing himself. (laughs) Yes. Um, But I, as a person who, like you, does not mind Jimmy Fallon and am fairly fond of Drew Barrymore, not necessarily the world's most amazing actress, but we're fond of her. Yes. Enjoy this movie. And I think they're sweet. I mean, they, when you say established couple, they get together at the beginning, but they have essentially like an uneventful courtship that has just like nice small moments, which I enjoy, but I take your point that there's not that much plot. Yeah, I mean, they are just a nice couple. I mean, this is like a normal couple that you would like theoretically want to see in media. However, when we actually watch these things in media, we're like, oh, this isn't exciting enough. (laughs) I was just about to say, there's apparently no pleasing us because when we watch people who behave abnormally, we cannot get over how abnormally they are behaving. (laughs) Yes, but it incites such controversy and discussion. Indeed. Um, But we've now talked so much about the production of the film. Maybe you should summarize the plot. Okay. I mean, there isn't that much to say. Like, uh, Jimmy Fallon plays this uh, teacher who loves the Red Sox. He, as a, like, a young child, moved to Boston with his mom from Jersey and um, didn't have any friends. It was really bored. So his uncle takes him to a Red Sox game. He has season tickets because, I don't know, he 
like, I don't know how he got them, like, in the lottery. Sold his kidney in his youth. Who knows? Yeah. So, um, so he takes Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Fallon falls in love with the Red Sox and becomes obsessed. Like, obsessed. Like, this is his identity. Later in the film, I was like, Jimmy Fallon obviously has some unresolved issues from his parents' divorce that he hasn't worked through. And maybe if he did, he could let go of the Red Sox a little bit. Yeah. So he loves them, even for a Red Sox fan, loves them to, like, an abnormally intense degree. But anyway, fast forward many years later, uh, he meets Drew Barrymore, who is, like, I don't know, some kind of... I don't really She's a numbers crunching workaholic and he's a math teacher and he brings some students to her office and we don't really need to know what she does, but she's very successful, as are all women of this rom com type. So yeah, anyway, so she's great and he asks her out inappropriately at her workplace, just like ambushing her. He's a bit inappropriate as a teacher in general. Yeah. Not malicious, not like alarmingly so, but sometimes you're like, you're too fun a teacher. Should you talk to this child about your personal life? Yeah. Anyway, they start going out. It's really nice. He's like very funny. He's attentive. He's sweet. Her friends like him. But her friends are also like, but what's wrong with him that he's like 30 and like no one's like married him yet? And Drew Barrymore is like, no, it's fine. It's fine. But then comes (laughs) baseball season. And Drew Barrymore finally realizes why he wasn't taken because he's crazy. He inherited his uncle's season seats and basically like goes to every single game and auctions off like the other seat with like, like to his friends. And like, so they go to a couple games and Drew Barrymore is like, oh, you're crazy. Okay, but it's fine because she's a workaholic and she's trying to get this promotion at work. And so she's like, I have to work a lot. You can just go to the games. It's totally okay. Initially, she's kind of charmed that he feels passionately about something. Right. Which I understand. But it turns out to be, like, too much passion. Yes, she is a little bit like, I wanted you to feel passionately about something. I thought it was romantic, but I didn't want it to be a passion that was so all-consuming that you had no time to devote to this relationship. Yes, eventually... You know, after Jimmy Fallon is like, I can't go to Paris because they're playing this weekend. Um, Drew Barrymore is like, I need like some time to like think about Take a stuff. good hard look at this relationship. <laughs> yep. Um, especially after like he finally comes around and is like and is like, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna not attend a game. I'm gonna go with you to your friend's birthday party. You know, it's a big deal for you. They have a great night, but then it's basically he missed like the most pivotal game in Red Sox history or whatever. And he is so upset. And he's like, this is the worst night ever. And Drew Barrymore is like, wow, thanks a lot. And they break up. But then Jimmy Fallon basically realizes that this is an obsession and it's not one that is obsessed with him back. And so he's like, I need to get her back. And um, and he decides for some reason the way to do this is that he's going to sell his seats for a lot of money. <laughs> well, first he tries to to just, like, see her. He, like, goes after her, and she's like, no, man, it's too late. But then... Yes. So then, But then I think he's just giving them up because he's giving them up. He's like, I have to move on even if I can't get her back. Yes. So he's like, I'm going to sell my seats. However, Drew Barrymore hears about this because he's selling to the husband of one of her friends and is like, I can't let him sell his seats. He loves these seats. And so she goes to the game to stop him and ends up like running across the field because he doesn't have a freaking cell phone (laughs) Um, and she can't get his attention. So she runs across the field, totally normal thing to do, um, stops him from selling the seats and they get back together um and they get to go to the series where the red sox win uh for the first time in like 
ever. And 86 years. Yeah. And then they get together and then at the end it's implied that they get, you know, get married and have a baby. So And everything is nice. Okay, so a couple of things. First of all, he sells his seats or he's planning to sell his seats for like $175,000. I think he could have gotten more. $125,000. Oh, I definitely think he could have gotten more. Yeah, I mean, in 2004, like, I don't, maybe, but I do think he could have gotten more. Yeah, it was like 200 k I would think. They're very good seats. Yeah, they're really, really good. And Boston, we're pretty crazy. Yeah, and those are a lot of tickets. It's a lot of games. Yeah. Anyway, I, ju- I just, that struck me upon viewing. Speaking of money, Drew Barrymore, the reason she has to run across the field is because she can't get in at the correct entrance after she buys scalped tickets. But what's remarkable to me about that is that she apparently pays $600 for these tickets. Does she just have $600 cash on her? Well, she has a really nice apartment in like what looks like a really nice area, like Beacon Hill, like kind of area. Like Yeah, it's she- like a back bay situation, but- but I'm not saying does she have the money. I'm saying does she have $600 on her in cash? That does seem like a lot of cash to carry. But do you, in 2004, was it like, did we carry more cash? Like, maybe we did. We might have. I mean, as late as college, which was like, you know, five or so years after that, like, I was definitely still carrying cash for like cabs and stuff, but not $600. Admittedly, I didn't have that. But if I had. I was going to say, like, I have no, like idea because in 2004 i was in high school and didn't have like 20 dollars on me like much less 600 dollars. i think i would sometimes have cash on me because i maybe didn't have a credit card yet because we would have been like 13 14 15 oh if i had money it was definitely in cash because what the fruitopia vending machine wasn't taking credit cards (laughs) oh my god (laughs) i have not thought about fruitopia in quite some time so I, you oh, know. that chip witch life. Yeah, that 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 was that was the main issue was that vending machines didn't take cards. Neither did the lunch ladies. So you know. Ah, uh, yes, that was the main place I was spending money. Exactly in the lunch line. It's so weird to realize that we are now about the age, or even a little older, that they are in this movie. Oh yeah, because Drew Barrymore is like, yeah, I'm about to turn 30, essentially. And I was like, really? You are very put together. Like, I don't, is anyone else this put together at 29? (laughs) Some people are. That's true. But also, I think the whole thing with Drew Barrymore is that, like, her life is not necessarily super together, but her work is fine. Yes, she seems to have a very successful career. Too successful, maybe. And I think it's somewhat accurate that in her friend group like some of them are single and some of them uh, the rest of them i guess maybe are married um they all seem to have partners because when she brings jimmy fallon in for the first time like they all have like husbands or boyfriends to introduce i did find that hilarious because i was like i don't know if this is just a gender thing that hasn't aged well but it's like all these men introduce their wives and this one terrible feminist friend cuts in and introduces herself yeah to be fair she's a terrible friend but not because she's introducing herself it's true i mean her friends are not the most supportive friends but (laughs) i was like near the end i was like stop hanging out with this couple Yes. The other two friends seem to be fine, although they're a little bit, you know, whatever. Well, she only, like, basically spends time with them at the gym, so, you know. Oh, that's true. She does seem like a person who maybe isn't spending that much time socializing anyway. 
Yes. I mean, I feel like she's only socializing because she has to go work out. But I, I thought they were like her core friend group, no? No, they are her core friend group. I mean, she does see them outside of whatever. But like, I'm just saying, like, I feel like she would not see them so often if like she didn't work out also. Oh, I guess. That is an activity for some people, though. Yes, apparently. <laughs> some people do meet up with their friends at the gym. I don't know why that that would be a social occasion when you're both dying, but sure. This is a myth to me as well, but who's to say? Why does he ask her out at her place of work? It really is like he ambushes her and is like, because he, he brings the kids in for the field trip. And then he's like, I'm going to ask her out like right after the field trip. Like he goes back, like the kids are like, I don't know, waiting in the lobby, waiting in his car, who knows? And he like goes back into the building to wait for her. And then she comes out and he's like, oh, thanks for being so great with the kids. And then he asks her out. It's so weird. It is odd. I was like, well... I don't know. I'm like, were things just this much more analog at the time? Or is it just because it's a movie? Because you would think that he could at least like go back home and call. But then again, he doesn't have a cell phone, which is bizarre to me, but maybe was slightly less bizarre then. But it's still weird. I think, well, the movie actually painted it as like a weird facet of his personality. Because she's like, oh my god, you don't have a cell phone. But it, this was like 2003, 2004. Like, I think most people had cell phones, were getting cell phones, but there were still like a number of people who didn't have them. I guess. I mean, I guess we were kids, so I, I don't have a good gauge. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't either. But I think it was like, it was at that time where like a lot of people were getting cell phones. Because in the movie, like Drew Barrymore is like, She's, like, pretty startled that he, like, doesn't have one. Yes, and then they make a joke about it, and then it comes back as a plot point, which I guess is good. But it was inappropriate for him to, like, ambush her and talk to her and, and ask her out at her place of employment. Yes, the only saving grace is that he doesn't also work at her place of employment, I guess. But it's just odd. I'm also curious, like, how was this even set up? Did he know someone... I was also startled that he was allowed to drive the kids in what appears to be his personal car. Yes, I was also confused about the situation. I was like, I am shocked that it was not like some sort of school chartered van or like minibus kind of situation. Yeah. And that there's, it's just him and like five kids. Yeah, I was like, I don't know, for insurance purposes, this seems like a very bad idea. I liked a lot of the interactions with her and her parents and him and her parents oh my god i was gonna say yeah that's actually one of my favorite parts is when uh he meets her parents for the first time and it's at dinner and things seem to be going okay but then he becomes a total raving lunatic because he tapes the red sox games when he doesn't get to go in person and a couple behind him starts talking about the game and he is like starts like screaming because he's eating lobster and he can't, so he can't cover his own ears. And so he has to like yell so that Drew Barrymore will do it for him, which just makes him look like a crazy person to her parents. And then he realizes this, however, though, because Drew Barrymore is not happy about the situation. And the next day he manages to get her parents into a country club to golf that they were like previously trying to get into without success. And he like takes the morning off and like bonds with them. And it's really nice. And she's like, really happy about it and it's very cute it's a super yes, I was cute like, move this is sweet i am not immune i also just loved like there's some random little things that i like in this movie like when she's home with her parents and her dad has like dyed his hair or whatever because he's going through some kind of middle age crisis and 
her mom is being like, yeah, go talk to him. And she's like taking cookies and she takes three and then her mom starts to take the plate away and she's like, one more. Oh, that felt very yes. Real. It's a weird little moment I like. Yes. I also like the fact that the dog hates the hair. <laughs> yes, that that's great. They have a lot of cute little moments. Like, not to jump ahead, but one of my favorite things always, and I think yours too, is when Jimmy Fallon is listing things he likes about Drew Barrymore, and he talks about her talking out of the side of her mouth like an adorable stroke victim. Yes, that's always stayed with me. And I'm always like, is this a line that was written after they cast her because it seems so specific to Drew Barrymore? Yes, I think it also is specific to Drew Barrymore. (laughs) Speaking of Drew Barrymore, so for some context... I went through a phase where I was obsessed with Drew Barrymore and watched a bunch of her terrible but wonderful work. Mm-hmm. And you and I basically developed an assessment system about Drew Barrymore's hairstyle and how it affects how pretty she looks in every movie. Yes. And I think of this movie as one of Drew Barrymore's best hairstyles. But when we began watching the movie, I was like, I wonder if I felt that at the time. And I don't know if I feel that anymore. I don't know if I feel that anymore. It, I have to say, she looks nice. Like, she looks nice in the film. It's not a bad hairstyle. I will say that in 2020, it looks very dated. Yes, the hair color suits her. I think it's always better for her when it's a little wavy or something, so you get it like kind of around her face. But I was like, this straight ends thing has not aged well. No, but like if you it's think about, odd. If you think about it, like the movie, like they filmed this like sixteen years ago. Like that's crazy. I it's just like in my memory, this is the most attractive Drew Barrymore is, and clearly that is a memory based in me being alive in the year like 2005 or 6 or whenever we first watched this movie. Yeah, I I think so. I, I, I think she's had better hair. Like, I do think she might have better hair in music and lyrics. Um, yes, that hair is later, though. So yes. I think that's part of why. It's similar to this, but a slightly different color slash cut. Yeah, I, I think it suits her a little better. Anyway, so... That that I, that felt like a very important observation for me since it altered my memory, like one of my primary memories of this film. Yes. Um, I mean, it's no ever after, but what can you do? Oh, yeah. I had I was by the way, I had to dig out the DVD of this and I really enjoyed that I have like a Drew Barrymore page in the DVD case that I never break out. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's this ever after music and lyrics. And there's one more. What do you think? Was it Never Been Kissed? No, I don't own Never Been Kissed. Okay. Trying to think what else she was in around that time. Anyway, but speaking of style, when they go out on their first date, he shows up and she is very ill and they he helps her change into a nightgown. Besides that, that I don't know if that's weird or it ends up being a little charming. Watching it again, it does seem weird. But more to the point, what's really weird to me is, really? That's what Drew Barrymore sleeps in? Oh my god, I thought the same thing. So the weird thing about this is that she's like, my pajamas are in the top drawer. He goes into a top drawer, he pulls out the pajamas and accidentally pulls out a pair of underwear. And he's like, LOL, Wonder Woman's been looking for these. And I was like, wait, the underwear is what you're going to comment on? Not this like grandma level nightgown? (laughs) But it was like, maybe grandma wore this in her youth. Like it was... (laughs) 
not a present day nightgown. It looked like it had seriously stepped out from the prairie. Like it was like an 1800s, like sleeve, full length sleeves, like floral, like collar. Like I was like, oh, did do people buy? Can you buy this? Like, did grandma make this? Like, I'm looking for like a t-shirt, a pair of shorts, some flannel maybe, but but really? This nightgown. Yes, it was very weird. Like, I was like, wait, have I not clocked this nightgown before? Like, what the hell? I just don't understand how we accepted this in the past. Like, maybe, like, we were children and we were just, this is what adult women sleep in. Like, I think my mom probably had a nightgown of some kind, but it looked less weird than this. My mother has a nightgown, but it doesn't look like that. Anyway, so we took this for granted as adolescents and... With fresh eyes, having not seen this movie in maybe a couple of years, I was like, what? Uh?" Yeah, that nightgown is very (laughs) perplexing. I had a lot of questions. (laughs) So I have another query that that occurred to me while I was watching. Um, So when he asks her out to go to opening day with him, um, they are like grilling in the common. Did they haul a grill through the common? Um, Matt also could not get over this. For some reason, like, at the end of the movie, this was the biggest sticking point for him. He was like, are they grilling in the common? And I don't... Well, first of all, is the concern whether you're allowed to grill in the common or whether he just dragged the grill through the common? For me, it's obviously that he dragged the grill through the common. I don't know whether or not you're allowed to grill in the common, okay? It is a park, so, you know, like, I I have no idea. But the fact is, is that... They didn't seem close to any of the common entrances. There's not very good parking by the common. So I'm just confused. Like, where did they park? He had to haul the grill out of his car, drag it through the common just so they could have this like cute little picnic. It's a very weird choice. Well, I think it's possible that there are grills in the common. I don't know if there actually are grills in the common. I can't remember. Yeah. So I have no idea. But the fact is, is that this is not a grill that was already in the common. (laughs) brought it but here's the thing i am able to let this go because i was like this is a romantic comedy i can see that maybe he set up this grill and then she met him there although here's the thing about that scene it's much further along in their relationship than i thought like i think maybe we had missed a chiron or two and i couldn't remember and so it was like wait how much time has passed and then i was like no i think they've been together for a while yeah they've been together for a couple of months at that point yeah, I think it's like five or six months or so. And I was like, oh, I guess that makes sense. But I didn't realize because initially I thought that they had met, you know, I don't know, in like February or something for some reason. And then it wasn't until they got to the thing where she was basically saying, we've been together for 11 months. Like I thought I might be pregnant, which let's get back to that in a second. That I was like, oh, 11 months and realized that they met in October right after the Red Sox were brutally eliminated in 2003. Yes. So they had a great relationship for like many moons before <laughs> before became... baseball season began. Yeah. But what happened was that I had forgotten this. And so initially I was like, they've been together like six months. No question of an abortion. Like they both seem to take for granted that if she's pregnant, she would maybe have this baby. Like Jimmy Fallon, without talking to her further, buys a onesie. Yeah. And I still feel like 11 months seems soon for them to like suddenly, you know, be Just like, commit to yeah, the situation. Yeah. But, you know. 
I'm not necessarily like, I mean, I agree with you, but you know, live your life, Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore. Like, I, I can see how you might feel this way about somebody, but I was just like- months is definitely much more reasonable than like six months. So. Yes, but I don't think I'd like run out and buy a onesie. Yeah. I feel like, like maybe like, well, let's have a conversation about this when you get back from Paris. Pivoting a little bit. Please. Why do I always think that Sherry and Teresa, who are like part of his like like Red Sox family basically in the summer, the other people who have like like seats, um, why do I always think they're lesbians? They're not lesbians, but I I always think of them as lesbians. Here's the question. Do we know they're not lesbians? Because I've always assumed they're not lesbians, but Matt also asked, and I was like, you know, frankly, they could be. They could be, right? But then Who's to say? Sherry is like really into Johnny Damon, which has not aged well. Um, but oh yeah, I was like, this was before the 2004 Red Sox betrayed us all because like a million of them turned out to be Trump supporters. Yes, they are all terrible, especially Kurt Schilling. But let's... It's been a disappointing decade. Yes. Um, whew. Anyway, at the time, like one of them like ogles like Johnny Damon as he like walks by. And so I'm like, I think they're not supposed to be lesbians, but no one ever said they weren't. Well, like, she could be bi. They're of an age where, with her strident personality, maybe she would just want to sexually harass Johnny Damon regardless. It's true. Like, who's to say? Who's to say? They're at a game. They've probably had a lot of beer. Yep. (laughs) Anyway, I had a great time watching this film. Thank you for acquiescing to my last minute request. It was so nice to see Boston. It was nice. And frankly, just nice to see people standing near other people. Yes. Yeah. But although at one point, one of his students like was opening a door and I was like, oh, I hope he's washing his hands because he just touched that with his hand. And I just hope like, (laughs) I know you're like, ah, people hugging. How quaint. (laughs) This time has really changed us all. (laughs) Every time I watch a piece of media now, I'm like, look at these people shaking hands. It's very strange. I guess aside from some gender stuff and the political views of the 2004 Red Sox team players, this movie has aged okay. It has. I concur. I wondered if some of the teacher professionalism things had also aged poorly or if it was just one of those things that you let slide because it's a movie. Yeah, he should be 100% fired. Like, wow. Okay. Know that he's done something firing worthy, but I think that he is the sort of teacher who people would be like, "Oh, you should watch out," because I don't think he's doing anything truly inappropriate. Oh, except when he's talking to that child about his personal life. Yes, at the like end, but like some of it felt very realistic. Like I was like, "Yes," as a teenager of that age, it would totally be super fun to discover your math teacher has like a really hot girlfriend. <laughs> Yes. If I was like sitting outside on the stoop and I saw my math teacher with his apparently super hot girlfriend. (laughs) And like, I don't necessarily find it insane that he might be allowed to drive kids in his car, but I just feel like people would would be concerned. I Oh, I did think he shouldn't be throwing things in the hallway. Yes. Or hitting his students. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like I did. That's that's an actual fireball offense. Yes, okay, maybe you're right. I had forgotten about that. I was thinking of, like, when he's in the classroom being really chaotic. And I was like, this seems like a fun teacher. He does seem Um, fun, but... Although not maybe a fun colleague. Yeah, no, no. I would not want to work with this man. (laughs) I would not want to have the classroom next door. Yeah. Imagine you're trying to have, like, quiet reading time. Um, so let's talk about our best and worst. Okay. So we both know what the worst line is. Okay, well... 
So historically, we have agreed that the absolute worst line, I always think of it as like, this movie is perfect, except for one line that I cannot stand, which is when Jimmy Fallon goes to profess his love to Drew Barrymore and be like, I was really stupid. I do love you more than baseball. And she is like, no, I can't. And she says something along the lines of like, basically like when you've been hurt, like something inside just like shuts off. That's basically what she says. Yes. And... Honestly, listening this time, I was like, maybe we've watched too many awful movies, but this was not as bad as I remember. I still hate it. It's revolting to me emotionally, (laughs) but it's not worse than other rom-coms. Yeah, I I gotta say this. It's okay. But I think in the context of this film, which is pretty grounded, it feels over the top. Yeah. I can see why some people might be like, oh, this movie seems like very crazy. But like us growing up in Boston, this actually doesn't seem super crazy. So I've always thought of this film as being like fairly realistic. Yes. If you're a visitor to Boston and you pass through and you're like, everyone seems really crabby today, it is probably because we're losing. Yeah. (laughs) And this was particularly true prior to 2004 when we were permanently bitter and constantly worried about jinxing the team. Well, the year before, we had made it to the playoffs and lost horribly. So To the Yankees, which is key. It was very bad because everyone was like hoping that was going to be the year and then it it was crushing. So honestly, it was bad. Yeah. Like... The Red Sox stuff seems over the top, but I guess it doesn't seem over the top to us. And then the relationship stuff is mostly pretty realistic, except they're probably a little bit funnier than normal people. But Drew Barrymore also, like, isn't the kind of character that prior to that moment you necessarily think is going to say something like that, which is maybe also why it's jarring. Although she does tell him he has a lyrical soul, so maybe I'm giving her too much credit. And then at the end of the movie, when they get together, she says, like, let's jerk one out of the park. And I was like, I also hate this. I don't know how I've never written that down before, but I also hate that line. Yes, it's it's bad. Oh, and also, obviously, it's a, it's a hallmark of how much I love this movie that I continue to watch it over and over, even though there's a prolonged vomit sequence. Yes, at least they don't show her actually vomiting, but you hear yes. a lot. You hear vomit, they talk about vomit. It's it's not great. Yeah. So my favorite lines are, um, I've always really loved the weird way Drew Barrymore says, Ben, I'm concussed. I know. I thought of you because I've always, you've always loved that. I know. It's like a really cute thing that she does. And she also says the same thing at the end where she goes, Ben, I'm getting arrested. Um, and it's like sort of in the same line where I always find it slightly charming. Yes. She has such a sweet delivery. So those are my favorites. I love the stroke victim thing, of course. I like when he goes to win her back and he's like, yeah, I'll just stay. And when you're finished with your date, we'll get married. Yes. Um, I like that after she runs across the field, even though she's about to be arrested and she's trying to stop him from selling the seats and she's confessing her love and all of that nonsense. He's like, the field, wait, is it spongy? It did occur to me that her white privilege really benefits her as she runs oh across the Oh my God, field. that she didn't get like shot. Post 9-11. Yeah, I know. I mean, you would think that she would have at least gotten tased. Uh, yes. I'm surprised with looking back with 2020 adult eyes that she was allowed to stand there talking to him for as long as she was. A white lady. Um, I actually, I also did have friends at that game who, uh, you know, they stayed afterwards after the game was finished to sort of film the sequence who were there. And I always think of that as well. Oh, really? Yeah. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, because they were filming while we were in school. Like, obviously, we had classmates and friends who were you yes, know, at we the game. Had so. Classmates whose families had 
season tickets. And obviously, since we were doing well, everyone was keen to go to games. It was a time. Yeah. I also love when they're going through his closet and she is basically being like, this is not a man's closet because it's all, I guess, like Red Sox t-shirts. And she's like, basically being like, you're half man, half boy. And she's very upset. And then he's like, okay, okay, like, I get it. Like, we can figure it out. Oh, because she's being like, you should see my sister's husband's closet. And he's being like, okay, like, it's fine. I get it. Like, you want your parents to like me more than your brother-in-law. And she says, no. And then she says, yes. (laughs) And I was like, that feels so real to me. Yes. Obviously, neither of us has, like, competitive sibling relationships. But I feel that that is incredibly realistic. I also enjoy that. But I also, when I was watching that scene as an adult, I was like, oh God, I feel so tired already. Like I feel so By his clothes? Yes, but I also feel so exhausted by his apartment. Like I am shocked that she walked into this apartment and she was like, uh, uh. Like she, because she says like, uh, look, I've seen your apartment. I know you're a big fan. And I was like, did the apartment not tip you off to how big a fan? (laughs) I know she, like- Matt kept being like, has she not seen his apartment? I was like, she has. She mentions it later, but it totally seems like she hasn't, right? Yes, it 100% seems like she hasn't. Like, how would you walk into his horror show of an apartment and not be like, Jesus Christ, I need to turn around and leave? As a person who's sitting here next to a Red Sox pillowcase, I don't know that I can throw stones. But it is odd that she continues to be surprised by his behavior and possessions having been to that home. Yes, it's it's astonishing. Like, the, the place is horrific. Like, think about if they were all Funko Pops. Well, quite honestly, I felt tired by his closet. And my assessment of that situation was like, here's the thing, though. As long as you can put on normal clothes and pretend to be a normal person... I'm cool with it. And I guess they were able to put together an outfit. Well, but like, I'm surprised that he didn't have more normal clothes. He teaches. <laughs> like five days a week, he should be in grown up clothes. But I mean, I think he is. But I think that Drew Barrymore, and we haven't talked about this, but she definitely has some hang ups about like what a professional adult should be like. Because at the beginning, she's unwilling to go out with a school teacher, which is a perfectly respectable adult job. Like she doesn't even know about the baseball thing yet. Yeah. Yes. Like, I think she's just expecting him to be, like, executive man, like the guy that she's then on a date with when he comes to profess his love. Excuse me, it's a work thing, okay? Carrie and Ezra are also there. (laughs) It's just, like, a party, and we were, like, a sideways party. (laughs) And then he had the dog in his arms. I was like, the dog has betrayed you, too? You were together for 11 months? I know. Anyway, so, yeah. So there's a lot of things in this movie that I enjoy. I think my worst scene is probably maybe like that that love, him coming back around to tell her that he loves her or maybe like the, the first date where she does vomit all over the place. But on a whole, the movie I think is pretty decent. Um, so what would you rate this? I think I literally wrote IDK. I have no perspective about this movie. I think that we probably gave it like an eight and a half or something originally i don't remember actually maybe i'll check oh i think i'd probably give it like a seven and a half eight now yeah like again it's like not that exciting a film but it i think it holds up yeah um sure we could go with eight so eight out of ten red Sox pennants eight out of ten gift shop apartments oh we gave it an eight last time too okay eight out of ten uh season tickets 
Eight out of ten ridiculous cell phoneless people. <laughs> Eight out of ten terrible friends. Eight, Eight out, out of ten, ten grills in the park. <laughs> Eight out of ten hair bags, which we didn't talk about. Oh my god, I can't even get into that. <laughs> no one has a hair bag. We only hear tell. I just want listeners to know that neither Jimmy Fallon nor Drew Barrymore has a bag of hair. Oh, and also, nobody has any friends of color. No, no. Only, like, very, like, like maybe miscellaneous background people. Yes, like, the occasional child or coworker, which, to be fair, is kind of true to Boston. I realize... I was gonna say, it is Boston, so it's already pretty racist. It's a very segregated city, and going now that we live in LA whenever I go home I'm conscious that it's very white yeah so maybe realistic but still not amazing (laughs) okay and with that thank you so much for listening we'll talk to you next time stay safe out there um well stay safe in there and uh yeah bye Thank you to Hannah Oatman, who composed our theme music, and Alexandra Oatman, who painted our logo art. You can follow Alexandra on Twitter at at Alexandra. Special thanks to Quincy Surasmith for advising us on the art of the podcast. Subscribe to his wonderful podcast, Asian Americana, at wherever you get your podcasts. Want more Romcomathon? You can read past reviews at romcomathon2016.tumblr.com and follow us at romcomathon2016 on Facebook and Twitter and romcomathon on Instagram. We look forward to hearing from you. Please subscribe and rate Romcomathon on iTunes. Thank you.